0: Welcome to the Wellsprings Word, everybody. Hope this finds you doing well today. And I have a friend here with me, and we are going to do an interview today. And this is Brandy. So say hello, Brandy. Hello. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. It's very warm today.
0: <laughs> it is a beautiful day here in Casper, beautiful. right? Do you know that historically today is the day of the year where it's warmer here than it is in Atlanta? Yes. And that almost never happens, so when it happens, I like to rub it in and be like, deal with that, Georgia. Yeah. Because we're fully tired of hearing all your little snarky comments about the fact that it's cold here. So anyways, <laughs> um, so what we're going to do real quick is just hit through some random stuff to help people have an idea of who you are. Okay. So this is just kind of rapid fire before we get to the actual topic. So what, what kind of car do you drive?
1: A Subaru Crosstrek.
0: A Subaru Crosstrek. Now, see, what happens is instantly in their minds, people picture. Exactly who they know, I am. <laughs> they know you're from Colorado, and they know you like to climb rocks. So is, are either of those things true?
1: No, neither of those things are true.
0: Okay, so where are you from?
1: I'm from Nebraska.
0: Nebraska. Okay, are you a rock climber?
1: I am not a rock climber, but I am a hunter.
0: <laughs> okay, but see, in people's minds, that means you're supposed to have a big truck, not a Subaru.
1: Yeah, supers are very efficient, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that means a lot. Right now it's $6 a gallon or whatever diesel is going for. So what's your musical genre of choice?
1: Country. No. <laughs> That's a joke, actually. Um, actually, um, I really only listen to worship music these days. Oh. I know. It's like yeah, the one typical But if I have to, like... Pick no, it's something fine. Else. <laughs> this this is a church podcast. It right. should be e-
0: it should be legal for you to say that you like worship music. That's completely right. fine. Um, your favorite color? My favorite
1: color? Goodness, um, od green.
0: Oh, okay, cool. And one of my favorite questions. So when you went looking for a man, because you're married, okay, <laughs> okay. Do you want the man who steps in and defends you, or the man who holds your purse while you defend yourself?
1: Definitely the man who holds my purse when I defend myself. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, great. Um,
0: so we had talked a little bit because you wanted to um, share your story yeah. and share your experience because um, I think it was September, right? It was suicide awareness? Yes. Yes. Um, but I want to kind of attack that from a couple different angles because you have a real interesting perspective mm-hmm. on it from both sides, kind of. Yeah. So, um, how many years were you in law enforcement?
1: Total, I spent almost eight years in law enforcement.
0: Okay. Um, now, with what I feel like I'm watching, just from like a pastor's chair, um, the suicide problem is just seems to just be gaining speed with people, um, I hear about it more and more right. than I used to say, you know, cause I'm kind of old compared to you, but like when I got going in all of this 30 years ago, it was really rare mm-hmm. to have somebody say, Oh, so-and-so committed suicide. Right. And then that's becoming more and more common. More and more people are dealing with it. Right. Um, so I, what I wanted to do from two angles then so from the law enforcement side of your experience of going on calls and being called to situations um how has that impacted you like what kind of things did you see from a law enforcement side of it
1: it's actually uh, very interesting because my husband is also in law enforcement and so we can have um, some good conversations about this but um, he is an officer in casper and i was an officer in a smaller town but we We both statistically noticed, and um, it's actually coming out more and more now, um, if you read the news in this area, um, that this area is very, um, I'm not even going to say significantly high. Uh, In fact, I recently read a quote that said that uh, this area was number one in the world for suicide rates. Oh my gosh. um, Which is we're, we're a little dot on a map in the United States. Um, but we are twice the national average in the state alone. And then in the city, um, it's, it's just astronomical. You, you don't even wow. realize it until you, if, if you're not affected by it, you, you don't necessarily think yeah. about it. And then when you work in it, um, you know, we on any given day, um, I, I can recall many times where I would go from a suicidal call to a suicidal call, whether it be an attempt or somebody having an ideation and needing help or an actual completion. Um, at one point in time, I remember going to 12 in one day in a town of 3,000 people. So that's significant.
0: Oh, so So to make sure everybody's following then, so you're saying on one shift, mm-hmm. going to 12 calls related to suicide... One way or the other. Right. In a single shift.
1: In a in a single ten hour shift, actually. I work ten hour shifts. Wow. Um, my husband works twelve hour shifts. And um, you know, I was an officer in Wyoming as well as Kansas. And to show just kind of the significance for this state as well, is when I was an officer in Kansas, the response for a suicidal call, any of those calls, was basically a SWAT type response. We showed up, you know, guns out, fully prepared for because it was so uncommon. Oh, I gotcha. I think in six months, I went to two suicide calls in in six months in Kansas, where here it's so routine that we walk up and we knock on the door and we have a conversation with people about it. Wow. Unless it's that extreme of like, oh, they have guns and they plan on, you know, gotcha. there there has to be that extreme side of it. And so, um, you know, that kind of shows the, wow. the difference. Yeah. Um, In law enforcement response in the two areas and in the rest of the United States as well, like we we just think that it's common and then we go somewhere else or train with another agency and it's it's not that common like we are and their
0: minds are just blown by what what's being dealt with here. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, Now you used a phrase a second ago that I've like for myself, I only became acquainted with it just in the last few months. It's kind of more of a clinical professional mm-hmm. phrase, you use the phrase suicidal ideation. Yes, so if somebody's listening to this and they're they have no clue what you mean when you say that, what is suicidal ideation?
1: So basically, it's thoughts about suicide, um, okay. it's not an attempt and it's not a completion, they're, there's very different things. Um, so, having the thoughts or the ruminations about suicide. Um, in, in, you know, the basicality, that's what ideations are.
0: Okay. All right. Um, so, um, what would you say was the ratio between attempts and completions?
1: Um, I, all I can really say is that I know that the attempts of course were more, um, but completions is what they look at statistically right now. And, you know, that number. So, um, it, it was so routine, to respond to um, that I can say as an officer I became very almost jaded in the procedure sure. um, because there was a systematic procedure of okay we do X Y and Z when somebody says they you know want to end their lives um, yeah. and that usually looked like an involuntary hospitalization um, and you know, we washed our hands of it and, you know, walked away and never, it, it was, it was a very systematic response yeah. that happened. So, um, it caused a, like I said, a, a kind of a jadedness and unawareness of what, what truly was going on for that person. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, it, it was, we used to actually, a lot of people think too, it, it's an easy call. I remember thinking that like, oh, this is one piece of paper and I signed the form and leave them at the hospital and I'm done. Like it's, um, but as I started to recognize, um, what was actually happening for people, that mental health aspect, I started spending longer and longer, uh, at the hospital with them and talking with their families and, and just getting a full story of like why they were there and and why they, you know, why they wanted to end their life.
0: And then did you notice any kind of generational correspondent? Like, was it more with younger people or is it kind of all age groups or what did you what did you observe
1: um i saw i mostly dealt with ages 12 to 25 um 12 12 to 25 yes
0: so with children this is common now right
1: it's very common among teenagers but they you know statistically it's common among teenagers young adults but I, it is um, something in this area that it has no bias for age or gender yeah. um, I, I wish I could say you know oh it's you know it's focused just on men or it's focused but here it, it really has no bias that it's, it's affecting so many people on okay. and no commonality if that makes
0: sense gotcha and what's the most common way people try like if if you were going to a call and it was an attempted suicide and attempted a uh, simplistically speaking attempted meaning well they didn't work they're still alive what was common? Was it usually like overdosing with pills or was it, what was the, what was the mode?
1: Um, I I would say that overdose seemed to be the more common because what would happen was, um, somebody would take pills and then regret it and call 911.
0: Oh, I see. So
1: that seemed to be more of what, you know, what we would see, um, you know, firearms are a big thing in Wyoming. So we do see a lot of that as well. Um, so I I, like I said, can't statistically say one way or the other, Sure. but I did see, I, I would definitely see more of the overdose perspective. I got you.
0: Well, and the beauty of a podcast interview situation is that no government fact checkers are going to follow behind us <laughs> right. to figure out the stats. You know what I mean? Right. This is really more just about wanting your perspective on what's what you've seen for yeah. yourself. A lot of people, I think, um, you know, that hang around church environments, yeah. if we hear about uh, suicide instantly. I mean, everybody, I mean, if they're, if they're rational at all, they go, Oh, that's, that's terrible. That's so bad. But I think a lot of times, um, people don't understand even like when you just, uh, when you were just explaining the law enforcement response to it, Mm -hmm. a lot of times people don't understand that they don't understand help that's available to them. They don't understand. Now, I'm going to give you an opinion and then you tell me if I'm right or wrong. And I mean that if I'm totally wrong because you're a professional and I'm just a preacher. So I just hang out. But I think that the unknown about it causes people to not seek help because in their minds they go, okay, if I call that hotline, I'm going to blow up my life. I'm going to mess up everything. Everybody's going to know it's going to be in the paper. Um, you know what i mean i, yes, I think right. there's such a like a cloud to it mm-hmm. that i think people that could get help don't because they don't understand what the response is going to be would you say that's accurate or am i wrong
1: i think it's very accurate and it actually segues into my own testimony okay. to be honest because it's um many people that's the stigma around it that's the stigma around mental health we're, we're getting better there there's a There's the steam rolling when it comes to, or I should say a ball rolling when it comes to uh, the understanding and the comprehension of it. Um, But suicide is still kind of like that weird taboo. Like, why would why would people talk about wanting to die? And like, if if we talk about it, are more people going to do it? And there's just that that stigma around it um, that shouldn't be there yeah um, because that, that right there is what keeps people from talking about it they they don 't want to talk about it because it feels shameful they they don 't want to seek help because maybe they 're a professional they there 's so many facets yeah. around it um, that it, it just um, it doesn 't have there isn 't that awareness and there isn 't that understanding i mean they, yeah. there's there's plenty of awareness there's plenty of groups there's plenty of walks there's plenty of um you know the world health organization recognizes that it, there's awareness about it but the actual conversations about it that lead people to healing and point people to healing may yeah. not be happening because of that stigma because people aren't you know they don't feel comfortable talking about it and there aren't safe spaces to talk about that
0: yeah and, and then would you say, just from what you observe, because um, this is, you know, this is a church podcast, yeah. but we like to get right down to it, like we don't play around and we don't have to fix things. Um, the typical American Christian or the typical American church environment, um, I feel like the stigma is just as present yeah. in houses of worship as it is out on the streets and so then Christians are not the help to each other that they could be because the same thing of like, well, hey, I'm supposed to be a person of faith. I'm supposed to be a believer. I can't tell somebody that my day was so terrible that I thought about putting my gun in my mouth. Right. Um, I feel like the, where the church should be a hospital for stuff right. like that, right. where, and we should be able to walk together through that, by and large, people are as quiet at church as they are. Anywhere else? Would you agree with that?
1: I would definitely agree with that. I think that uh, the things that the church isn't speaking about and getting comfortable with speaking about in terms of um, mental health, in terms of suicide, like it. Let's let's be honest. Well, I'm going to call it what it is. The enemy flourishes in it. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're not speaking light into a dark place uh, especially suicide that can be a really really dark place for people Um, if if the church is not speaking a light into that it it causes more isolation for that person Um, some of the thoughts that come to mind are like you know, I'm a Christian, like I shouldn't be dealing with these or I'm saved. How am I still, you know, struggling with yeah. mental health? Or, I mean, there's a myriad of, of responses that go on in a Christian's mind. And then they sit around, you know, a room of believers who are, you know, joy, joy, happy, happy. And, yeah. um, and can't have those authentic conversations and then go to scripture about it and, and walk those things out. Um, when in fact, Every one in four people have had those thoughts, yeah um so the church is not exempt in that
0: yeah well it's funny because the culture um exhibits um you know whatever you want to call it trends right. uh, problems things happen in the culture, and then people act like there's a disconnect when church churches on Sunday are people from the culture, right, which means the stuff happening in the culture is wandering into the church. Mm. But I've always been mystified because to me, I mean, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning is absolutely the best time for acting way past Hollywood or anything that goes on on television because we've created this thing of, like, this is where I come in. And particularly, right, if it's, like, charismatic or Mm -hmm. or Pentecostal background, um, you know, I feel like blowing my brains out. Well, but that's not what you say because you stand there and say, well, no, I'm blessed and I'm happy and Jesus loves me because we've created mm. this environment where to pretend is considered more noble than to be real. Right. Um, and as a, as a pastor, as I watch it, it's, it's, uh, it's just heartbreaking to me On the because I think as Christians, if we were honest and real with our Jesus and who he is we are like uniquely positioned to help people with this. But like you say, it's never actually getting, it's never actually getting talked about. Right. Um, So that's all really interesting. But now your story then comes at it from the other side too, because you had your own final event in your life where you began to plan and think that that was the best path for you. Right. Um, So, a little bit of what led up to that and then what did that look like for you and then i'll i'll try to not interrupt but i i might if i think we need to but just tell okay. it like what 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 was happening in your life and what did that day look like
1: okay well i uh, like we said you know i've been in law enforcement for eight years um but i can't start from there without understanding that the the root cause um was i had been suicidal since i was 14 years old and I never actually vocalized it to anybody. I had had an attempt at 14 and hit it away, and nobody knew. Um, And continued on throughout the rest of my life, just striving to be better, um, striving to... just do all the things, go to college, um, have a sense of normalcy. And all of that, of course, came from childhood background and history with addictive parents and, um, abusive relationships, you know, a myriad of trauma. Let's, that's what it was. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to policing. Um, you know, I, I got into policing out of a a very, very traumatic place, actually. Um, I entered into policing after my brother was shot and killed by a police officer and got into policing thinking I was this hero and I was somehow going to um, vindicate, not him, but I was somehow going to be able to work with youth and, and just stop that process from happening. And um, along the way, though, I just gained more and more trauma. <laughs> that's sure. that's what happens
0: um now when you say that you had been suicidal since you were 14 I think is what you just said yep. 14 right yep. okay so now just so people are following along you're saying then that somewhat routinely your thought process was I should just end my life
1: Right. So for me, it was very much so a, a, just a default. It actually became a coping mechanism in my thought process. Some people have addictive personalities, addictive behaviors. For me, I was getting relief from thinking, oh, well, I could just end my life. That would solve this problem. Okay. Um. And it started. Now, and and that, are you
0: saying like, so would this be like, and I understand that you can't like sum up some of this because right, it right. ebbs and flows. But I mean, daily, weekly, monthly, or maybe after just a big Disappointment or something that felt like a failure. I mean, can you quantify that a little bit?
1: Throughout my life, um, it had an ebb and flow. It truly did. Sometimes it was non-existent. Um, and other times it was so severe that I felt crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. in, in all of the, you know, context, um, fast forwarding into, you know, policing and, um, never actually talking about this with anybody. I, I would hint at it. I, I remember at one point in time talking about it when I was younger and then I was told it was just like an attention seeking thing. Um, and so I just, I stopped talking about it after the attempt when I was 14, I stopped talking about it and the thoughts just kept coming. Um, sometimes weekly, sometimes I'd go a couple of months and never think it, and then something would happen. Um, I can tell you that there, there was no systematic thing. Sure. It, it, it was, um, it did really have this ebb and flow. Like it was, um, it was in my mind. It it truly was, but I never vocalized it ever again to anybody. Um, fast forward into, you know, policing. I, you know, then was dealing with it every day and not realizing how much it was actually poking at my stuff. Um, and as I completely, piled uh work-related trauma that you know poked at childhood stuff poked at the stuff with my brother that um it kind of just it kind of became this backpack that i was just putting stuff in and -hmm. eventually one day burst at the seams um instead of me actually unpacking it um and it you know it burst at the seams at a time in my life where i had everything going for me i was living, you know, close to family and loving on nieces. I had a phenomenal job. I was teaching in the community. I was going to Bible study. I was in ministry. I I was doing all of these things. Um, I also had, you know, the, the dream relationship that, you know, I, I always had wanted and, um, and some, for some reason, um, which I'll get into why, but I, I woke up every day for almost 30 days wanting to end my life. Wow, and it, it, at that point in my life became incessant, um,
0: to where, when, when there was, when there like to observe it from the outside, like you're saying, yeah. you were at a season in your life where everything, all the boxes are checked, like right. things are going good.
1: I was also in therapy, <laughs> like every, everything was going good. I, I was going to Bible studies. I was going to church, um, I, it, There was so much good going on in my life. And yet Um, it
0: was still just...
1: Yeah, it was still... um, I can remember very clearly spending time with uh, family and just out of nowhere, a thought would pop into my head of like, walk out in front of that bus and be like... And I would be so full of joy, but that thought would just land and I couldn't get it gone until I left that place. Like, yeah, um, and... It, it actually got so bad to the point where I started to isolate and seclude myself from being around anybody because the thoughts became so incessant. Um I I did. I felt like I was going crazy. And I also kept saying, Well, I'm a professional. I shouldn't be dealing with this. I help people through this. Um so why? Like why why am I having these thoughts? Why, you know, I I just I kept going over, like, why is this happening? I had also been radically slain in the spirit like three, four years prior (laughs) to this (laughs) Um, and couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I was checking all of the boxes, like you said, of, you know.
0: Now, if you're listening to this and you are non-charismatic, (laughs) non-Pentecostal background, just to clarify, when she says she's been slain in the spirit, in other words, you had a powerful encounter with God that was just, thoroughly energizing and and just it, it exhilarates your faith and everything right. else but that ultimately in a sense just became one more marker of why you were saying well with all of that i shouldn't be dealing with right. this right i know I, a pastor guy that i talked to one time and uh i texted him i asked him uh if when we were having this conversation if i could use his name and uh <laughs> he actually immediately just said no um, but it was a guy that I was talking to that had been a pastor dealing with, uh, so I can be all educated now, he was dealing with suicidal ideation. Hey, and <laughs> You got it. And, uh, <laughs> but what was remarkable to me was he was talking about how the thought would just blast to the forefront, I mean, just he could be doing. And, and, you know, so pastor stuff is obviously different stuff than, like, policing stuff. But it's remarkable to picture a guy doing a wedding. Right. And he's losing his place in his notes because he keeps having this, you know, his marriage isn't as perfect as these two young, beautiful kids standing in front of him he should go get in the car and end it or right. you know preaching on a sunday and telling the gospel and jesus loves you and the thing would jump in his mind yeah but not me and i'm mm-hmm. a hoax and i'm i'm a i'm a actor and i'm a liar and i should probably just go after church and go end it like it was really remarkable to me when he kind of got real honest about how that struggle would look yeah In his mind, and so it it, it caused me to remember what he shared as you were sharing that. Um, So, so you're saying 30 days, just and then finally one day was just too much. And so, what happened that day?
1: It was another normal day. Uh, Honestly, um, from the outside looking in, everybody looking at me still has a hard time understanding my family, close friends, people that I've, you know, that have seen me out in the community that I've told this story to. They're like, oh, they say the weirdest things actually like, oh, you're too pretty to commit suicide like what, what? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. like like okay um but the, just some of the strange things that people say around an uncomfortable well, topic
0: when people get uncomfortable they say some of the weirdest right. things yeah, the yeah. weirdest
1: things and you know just people's response to it yeah um when i started being fully honest about it but you know f- when i look back and, and go to that day um it, it was a very, it was not actually normal. It was a very abnormal day. I got off of shift that morning. And um, to say that I just knew, like, I, I didn't write a letter. I didn't tell anybody. I, I talked to my boyfriend at the time that morning. Um, I had spent time with my family the day before. I mean, everything was very routine in my life. Um, but I got home that morning and I, I remember saying, today's the day I'm going to end my life. And it was, it was just very clear. Um, and I sat with my service weapon. Like I remember getting out of my uniform and unholstering my service weapon. I never take my, (laughs) would never take my weapon out of the holster. And I sat with it. Um, just knowing like I, I, I was not necessarily at peace with it because I remember all morning long, like laying on my floor, like crying out to God, send someone, do something. I don't want to do this, but I I just felt so hopeless in mm. that moment. And so, um, lost. And I I remember saying, but I'm in therapy and I'm, I'm doing this and I'm reading this book. And I, I went through all of these logical things in my head. Um, and I also said, and I know I'm not crazy, but I know that if I tell anyone, if I tell anyone, I instantly lose my job. I lose my guns. They'd lock me in a mental hospital. Like I had all of these things that would yeah. potentially happen. Um, I, I I would lose all respect. Like people, you know, no longer respect me as an officer, and um, so I just didn't tell anyone. But what I did differently that day was I texted my supervisor and called in sick two days early for work.
0: Right. Wow. <laughs> I oh, just... so you're so you're saying you sent a text that was like, "Hey, I won't be in in two days because I'm sick."
1: Yes, I I said, "Hey, I need a few days off. I haven't been feeling the greatest." Um, and I'm not going to come back to work on Wednesday. And you know, they were okay. We got it covered. We'll cover your shift. No big deal. Um, and spent, you know, spent the rest of the day, like I said, going through that process, grieving with God. I, I did every breathing exercise. I covered myself in essential oils. I did yoga poses. I prayed, I put on, I did, I did all of the things. Wow. I'm telling you all of the therapeutic things, all
0: but but now you have to understand now this is a super serious topic (laughs) i i am not making fun of anything i'm rejoicing because you're here telling me about this so that's a win at one point in there there's a win so but you realize that there's like somebody listening to this that you just blew up their whole world (laughs) that essential oils did not cure this like there there's a head spinning right now like wait a minute Nope, a little eucalyptus should have, you know. Like, there's some people that are serious about that. So, and the and the, the yoga people are less upset because they are very zen and at peace all the time. Right. But the essential, somebody out, I can feel it. Somebody out there with essential oils, right. they are like, what? So, but you were really trying to find some relief
1: from the hopelessness. Yeah, from yeah. from those thoughts. From I I just I remember saying, I can't keep doing this like i i just didn't want to um you know i i also in my policing time have suffered major injuries and so i was i was dealing with some significant chronic pain undiagnosed chronic pain um at the time as well and i just i couldn't I wasn't sleeping very well. I, I couldn't get away from the chronic pain. And then I'm, you know, trying to serve my community and just, uh, it fell apart fast, <laughs> okay. like, you know, doing everything in my own might. It, it, sure. You know, and, um, you know, that
0: now there's Christian people that would listen to this and be very alarmed by the idea. And I mean that in the best way, I'm not poking fun. <laughs> they would right now, they really would struggle not with that. You were struggling, but they would say wait a minute what do you mean you prayed and it didn't help hmm. or you were seeking god and it didn't help right um so for the person thinking that about your story what what do you think
1: well and i i should say that i not that it didn't help um i felt like god wasn't hearing me that's where i was at is i was walking through a place where um you know i I spoke about like that supernatural um experience and and having this closeness with god for years prior to that walking but this season of my life it was dead silent um i i couldn't feel god in anything i was doing work wise and um you know i i just didn't It wasn't like this feeling it it was, I, I, there was nothing like there, there was absolute silence. Um, as I was battling this out in my mind, um, I, you know, I read scripture. I, I, I don't know how many times the only thing um, that could get me from the point of ending my life to the next day was a Psalm and Mm. reading it out loud and, and just declaring that, you know, authority, um, and just, reading it over and over and over again until I fell asleep because, because the thoughts were so, um, incessant. It, it, that's where my love for like worship music and had to come in is if that's not going, sometimes that, that thought would be so incessant. Um, so that day I, uh, I, you know, I received a package in the mail, which (laughs) God divine thing, but it was, um, a swimsuit <laughs> out of all the things, um, because I was wanting to try swimming as another like healing modality or something to fix something, um, fix what was going on in me. And so I decide that I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go and try something new and, you know, I get ready. I go to the gym work out, and I, I look myself in the mirror with, you know, very clearly with my service web and sitting there with this idea of if this does not work, I'm coming home and it, it's the end for me mm. um it, it was it was just so logical for me to in an illogical sense it was so logical yeah. for me um i go to the gym i interact with coworkers. i interact with friends people who um you know saw me as a predominant member within the community um, close friends my neighbor was even there um people who knew you know some of my struggles with mental health but didn't know that struggle yeah um they interact you know i, I was normal i put makeup on that like to go and swim i don't know why but <laughs> i tried to seem as normal as possible that should have been a dead giveaway right should no. have been a dead giveaway um i i then go and swim and again by the grace of god both of my contacts come out when i'm swimming i can't see to drive without contacts or glasses and i didn't have my glasses with me i I should have known i was not supposed to swim but okay um just a little random side note and uh i then turned had you know turned my phone back on in the locker room because i had to find a ride home at that point um and
0: oh so you're not kidding at all yeah without your contacts Blind as a bat.
1: Blind as a bat and had no way of getting three miles home. <laughs>
0: like, okay. It would have
1: been dangerous. I would have gotten pulled over <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, and, uh, I, I turned my phone on and I received a text message actually from my supervisor that I text earlier that day. And, and it just says, where are you? And you know, my caught brain turns on and I'm like, Oh my gosh, why is he texting me this? And, what happened and I I'm instantly, you know, kind of not panicked, but worried, not even thinking about he might be there for me. Not even thinking about that. And he uh then calls me and I, I answer the phone and he's like, Where are you? And I said, Well I'm at the gym and he goes, Well I figured you were at the gym. I went by your house and you weren't there. I'm out in the parking lot, come outside. And in my mind I then was like, I guess I'm going to have to die another day because work needs me. That's, that's really the thought process wow. that happened for me. Um, I, I needed to suck it up, needed not to let anybody know what was going on because somebody needed me. Like I I needed to be I a see. hero. Um, I instantly thought, you know, gosh, what happened to my, you know, family, my, you know, boyfriends, like who, that's the only reason why he'd be there.
0: Something bad has happened Something, to somebody else. So right now I got to put right. it back together here and and go deal with that
1: right um and i walk outside and to to give kind of a little backstory of this officer too um i despised him i would not have a conversation with him aside from work um he was my supervisor at the time and i he was all things i didn't like about a human um and so the fact that he was there i was just like They sent you (laughs) out of all the people, the guy, the guy who has no emotion, no feeling, no. Now see, those of
0: you that are listening to this, (laughs) she really made a hilarious face right then that you didn't get to see, but it was unpleasant. So, uh, he was,
1: he was very unpleasant at the time. Um, and I, I walk out to the parking lot and he gets out of his car and he's also with his wife, which, um, was Alarming as well. And he looks at me with the straightest face I've ever seen. And he just says, Brandy, you know, I don't know God. And I, of course, was like, I know, like, you don't know God. Um And he goes, but something sent me to look for you today. I don't know if that was God, but what is going on? Wow. And I lose it in that moment. And I'm like, I was going to go home and take my life. It was just... First time I'd ever said anything to anybody about it, and it, it just came wow. out. Um, and <laughs> I will never forget. Not only so,
0: when you were praying, "Oh God, please send somebody," <laughs> you would have never thought in a million years that it would have been that guy. Right. <laughs> that's that's amazing in a way that just makes me chuckle because the Lord just he gets to do stuff his own way, right. you know. But that's remarkable. So he didn't even fully understand what it was. He thought it was kind of like just an instinct type of thing. Yes, absolutely. To go and find you.
1: Yep, a cop instinct or something. Yeah. Um, but he he just said he when I sent the text message that I uh, you know was not need you know not going to come into work for a couple of days. He recognized how abnormal that was for me. Like I I didn't skip work sick. I just didn't do that, and he knew that much about me. Um, and so he, he, he showed up in a, in a place where he's like, I, I don't know, God, I, I have no idea what this is, but you're not okay. Something says you're not okay. And he was very clear and like, I'm not leaving until you tell me you're not okay. I mean, he was, he was that convinced, um, that something was wrong. Um, and so I not only told him, you know, the, you know, that I, I was going to end my life, but it was actually the first time too, that I had uh, disclosed to anybody in policing that I had lost a brother to an officer involved shooting. I mean, there were other traumas, work related stuff that I had just um, compartmentalized for years that I had.
0: So I had, in the moment you just went ahead and you just dump it all.
1: Yes. I was like, here it is. And um,
0: in the gym parking lot without your contacts.
1: Yes. Yes. As I'm also telling him, I need a ride home and that's why he's there. <laughs> but, um, and I, I just remember very clearly, you know, he, he, he handles it appropriately. I I told him, I was like, I was so scared to tell anybody I didn't, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my guns. Like I I'm not crazy. I know I'm not crazy. I'm, I, I just don't know how to fix this and I don't know how to heal this. I'm doing all of the things and it's not working. And, um, he, he very clearly said, we're going to do whatever we need to do to get you to be a whole person. He's like, I don't even care about your job right now. I care about you and making sure that you're okay as you walk this out. And after, you know, I kind of disclosed everything and, you know, the agency was so phenomenal. And it, it's actually kind of unheard of because of the stigma around uh, suicide, but then the suicide among first responders um, that, you you know the the fact that they were willing to pay for whatever I needed paid for it so i I could find healing and then ultimately get me back to the street. Um, but through that process and and everything, um, I realized I couldn't go back to policing ever again. like i I retired in that moment. Um, and uh, <laughs> but, but one
0: thing that I think is really interesting, well, so many things about this are interesting that I think people could could take away from. Um that just jump out to me because if somebody's listening to this, um, and again, I mean it's a church podcast, right. so a lot of people that listen to it are churchy people, but um other people are gonna come upon this that aren't, right? So that thing of when you have your instinct about your friend or your family mm-hmm. member or something, when you get that <laughs> dread, that thing this something is not right go find this person and find Mm -hmm. out how they're doing. Right. Right. I mean, I, I am always amazed how easy it can be to dismiss that. Right. I'm busy. I have stuff. They'll be fine. You know, I'll text them tomorrow if I don't see them at work. You know, whatever. Like we have a way that we kind of talk our way back out of doing anything about that kind of stuff. But if I'm following what you're saying, this guy saved your life. 100%. 100%. By following that instinct to set aside whatever else he had going on with him and his wife and go find you. Right. Because you were intent, if you had gotten a ride from somebody else, right. if I'm following you, in the door, get the gun. Right. And over. Right. Wow.
1: That close. Um, in you, You brought up a good point, too, that I was thinking about and just how... Um we we systematically, when it comes to the topic of suicide, we have these preconceived notions about what we think it's supposed to look like and not look like um and I can tell you um, from my own personal experience, and then walking out nine other either coworker family members um suicides, um there is no commonality in it there there's no you know, we'll look for these ten things. Um, it's just it's not there, um, and so truly following that. Like, if if you feel like something's not okay with you know your loved one, if you feel like something's not okay with a friend, or you have that intuition, Holy Spirit, whatever it may be, um, it's not for nothing. Um, at 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 worst, you you might offend someone. At best, you might save a life truly if you think about wow. it that um, you know the, those inclinations um, could be could be life-saving and they go beyond any of those um, you know awareness things or you know this is what suicide is or you know call this hotline or do this or um, it, it goes it, it goes depth in depth if that makes any sense
0: yeah absolutely yeah well and I think you know it's it's person to person right. Like, I mean, it's impossible to say this is all just, you know, just purely a, a, a just a thought game at this point. But I really don't think, like, if you had walked out from the gym and there was a pamphlet on your car about, you know, having suicidal ideations, mm-hmm. call this number, that's not the same thing mm. as this person showing up for you and saying, hey... I don't even know anything about any of this, but I know something's not right. What can I do? Right. Um, I think, and I've always felt like when I watch how people struggle, whether it's you know suicide or illness or anything else, it's always remarkable. There's simply, I'm more convinced now than I ever have been serving Christ that there is absolutely no substitute for the human element of one human talking to another human being and saying, this is not my job. This is not my assignment. This is not my volunteer work. And it says, I have to call three people today. This is just, I'm here because I care about whatever is going on with you. Mm -hmm. There's no substitute for that. Like all the other programs in the world can help. I'm sure there's (laughs) been some good effect, all that. I'm not downing that. Right, right. But there's just no substitute for one human reaching out to another one. I mean, there's just... In the economy of God, mm. that's how I think we're designed to help each other walk through stuff. Um, and so it's remarkable that that guy was there for you like that. Right. And, um,
1: yeah, to, to say that, uh, you know, he's grown in his faith because of it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I imagine... <laughs> Yeah. it's a whole thing um but no that that's that's definitely a phenomenal phenomenal point because um as I've walked this out because though I received that miracle that night of uh, you know God sent somebody to intervene for me, the thoughts did not go away immediately um and I think that that's something that has to be understood as well is um it it wasn't though I received that, that miracle aspect, um, it's still, I, it still is a season of me walking it out. Um, this happened in 2019 actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the understanding and, and that, um, for suicide and people who struggle with suicidal ideations, um, just because they're okay one minute does not always mean they're okay the next it's it's sometimes a moment by moment thing um and i can say as i've walked it out what i have noticed the the biggest key point when walking it out is when i'm when somebody's walking with me yeah when i'm able to be fully transparent and fully vocal about the scary s word Mm that um so many people Um, like I said, get uncomfortable when you talk about it because they think it's going to be this chain effect or um, it just makes people uncomfortable. Um, But when I'm fully transparent about it um, and fully walking in um, that healing because Mm -hmm. I'm I'm walking it out, um, I not only find more healing, but then I'm finding other people struggling who have never talked about it as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that happens across the board in so many areas where as mm-hmm. soon as somebody talks about something, as soon as somebody has that moment of like okay i'm I'm just gonna be vulnerable i'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw this out here, and you might think i'm crazy, but but this is my thing, and we brace ourselves and we like say something. Mm-hmm. it is truly remarkable how many people then Go, oh wow, you too, and it's like, <laughs> and it's, uh, and it's, you know what I mean? When we talk about the enemy and we talk about the deceptions that the mm. that the spirits of the enemy work in people's lives, I've always believed that the primary one is that you shouldn't ever talk about what you're dealing with. Right. I think that's the biggest lie that he manages to tell everybody. Um, because, you know, Jesus, when he talked about Satan, he said, you know, he, he, he traffics in the darkness and darkness is the place of secrets, right? Right, right? And so when he convinces us, whatever that thing is, you better keep that a secret. To me, that's the, that's the most astonishing deception of them all. Right. So then we're all sitting around, particularly in Christian environments, again, we're all sitting around with the answer, nobody having the ability to ask the question because everybody's so busy pretending like, oh, no, no, I've never had a problem with suicide and I've never had a problem with, you know, pornography and I've never cheated on my wife. Oh, no, I'm a deacon at the church. Like, we have, you know, everyone has all this performance thing that they're mm-hmm. doing and then that leaves it all in the dark, which is exactly where our, where our adversary wants it to be. Um, I got asked, it, it's the funny thing about how the body of Christ works, you know, as a pastor, I guess we're just supposed to know about all kinds of things. So I actually got asked one time to do a talk with some young people on suicide, which mm-hmm. I, when the guy asked me, I was like, okay, I think there's better people. <laughs> um, but no, 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 I think, you know, you should do it. And in the preparation for that, which was from the place of just reading the Scriptures and, you know, reading about people in the Bible that got so mm-hmm. exasperated. They're like, you know, Lord, just kill me now. You know, Elijah's sitting under his little plant mm-hmm. or whatever. I was I was reading these things and pondering this, and the clearest thought that I came to is that uh, one of the main underpinning flows to suicide is a concrete belief that there's no way for tomorrow to be any better than today was mm-hmm. you know which is ultimately the definition of what hopeless means right right there's no path that makes tomorrow any better than this and so since I don't want to do tomorrow like today was I'll just I'll stop today right um and it's interesting to me because as you share about the striving part you know like trying yoga and essential oils and I'll go to the gym and I'll pray and I'll worship and I'll whatever. In a sense, it was all kind of making the case in your own mind, wasn't it? Like none of this works. I've tried all this today. So then if tomorrow's going to be just like this, then I'm going to go home and be done with this. Um, So if a person has stumbled on this and they feel hopeless like that, Like, yeah, yeah, they're listening to your story and going, yeah, no, that's my life right there. I've tried all of this. I've tried praying. I have a counselor. I tried doing this. I tried doing that. None of that's working. Take a minute and just talk directly to that hopeless person. If they were sitting where I'm sitting, what would you, having survived, what would you say to them?
1: So one of my first, uh, like scriptural discoveries after this, where, um, God finally spoke to me again, um, was I believe in Matthew when Jesus is tempted by Satan to throw himself off a cliff. And for some reason to me, that was the first time I, I had actually thought, well, does, does that mean Jesus was tempted by suicide by Satan? Mm. And it was just kind of this very tangible piece, um, for me to be like, okay, he understands
0: mm, that's powerful.
1: I don't, I, at the point, that point in my life, I didn't know if that was actually the biblical concept of that. I didn't need to sure. know the theology, but it spoke to my heart immediately in, in. And so I, as I started to read that passage, um, and I'm going to paraphrase. <laughs> it's legal. It's all right. Um, but as you know, um, I apologize. I kind of lost my thought there. Um, just in that passage, you know, that happens. And one of the key things that I start to notice is Jesus's response. His response immediately is it is written. So his response was immediately scripture. It was immediately God's word, what was already said. And then his next response was obedience. And, you know, he told, you know, Satan to, to go away. And, um, and Jesus was obedient to where He was being called, mm. and it just made a lot of tangible sense over the last you know few years as I as I've walked out my healing um, that the two things that were critical for me was Scripture and obedience, and the obedience for me though is those conversations of pointing people to Christ in this context and not remaining silent about it. Um, Another thing that kind of has always stuck with me through that was a very um, smart pastor friend of mine said, I needed to treat these thoughts like they were junk mail and just filter them out because those thoughts still come at times I'm, I'm going to be honest as i walk out my sure. healing yeah. um, there's they're still coming but i'm finding freedom and healing in scripture and obedience um but i need to treat those things like junk mail that they they just need to be filtered out they're from the enemy um, and i remember going home just that night and at, like i was like okay god why did you save me <laughs> like, wow. you yeah. know um And finally got that, I I got that scripture, but then I also got a a word from the Lord that was like along the lines of, you know, the enemy has tried to do everything to stop the call that I have placed on your life, everything. And, and he, we went, I mean, hours of prayer, let's be honest of, um, you know, he, he tried to do this with, you know, the traumas, the abuse, the, 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 times I, you know, had people with guns at work and all of these things that, you know, was trying to stop the call on my life. Um, and, and God was like, he doesn't win this time. Mm. And I had to fully understand the fact that, um, the call on my life, um, placed by God, regardless of the ideations, regardless of my mental health exceeds where I was at and what I was thinking and feeling at that point in time. Mm Um, um, I don't know if that answers what what you were... um. Well, no, I I
0: think it absolutely does, because um, a hopeless person, you're telling them the most important thing, I think, that a person struggling with suicide could hear, and that is where so many people have the idea that these kinds of things are modern problems, Mm. and... Christianity is this archaic religion and the Bible is this old ancient book. So how could it possibly have what we need for today? Because now we're way smarter than the guys that wrote it and all of that kind of stuff. But you're saying that in scripture and that nice old ancient book we called the Bible, you found an anchor point for Jesus understands this situation. He knows what it is to have the enemy speak to him, destroy yourself. Right. I know one of the most profound things that the Lord has ever shown me over the years about that scripture um, was on a a parallel line of the fact and even ties in with what you just said about your calling um, is the concept. And I think Christians far and wide need to understand that um, if we let the Bible be the Bible, now I understand there's like 4,000 schools of theological <laughs> thought or lack of thought across the body of Christ right now. Like, I, I get it. But if we just let the Bible be the Bible, the truth for the Christian really is that the enemy can't kill you. Right. So he needs to get you to do it. Right. You have to partner with him. Mm-hmm. Like, he can't destroy your life on his own accord, or he would just jump out of hell and do it. Right. He can't. But he has to talk you into playing your part. Right. And so you're articulating basically just an incredibly tangible example of that truth that there's a plan of God for your life Mm -hmm. and the enemy being unable to stop God needs to stop you. So he's used traumas and disappointments and abuses and things and those things hadn't panned out you were still squaring your shoulders and marching forward Mm -hmm. and so then here's lucifer's frustration i i hate her and i hate jesus and i can't go win a fight with jesus i tried that it didn't work out and so and i can't actually jump out of the closet and kill her because she's under the blood so the only way around this then is i have to get her to do what i can't do right which is get you to jump off the pinnacle and destroy yourself. Right. And so I, th- so in what you're saying, I think there is a huge amount of, of communication that is helpful to somebody who's struggling to understand that their fight might actually be more about their future than their past. Mm,
1: that is a good point. You know, because a <laughs> lot of
0: times I think people think, well, I've been a failure, I've made this mistake, I've made that mistake, and so I should just end it. Mm-hmm not realizing that the flood of thoughts to end it is might actually just be proof that the next chapter looks a lot better than the last one. Right. Um, and the only way he can stop it from coming into your life is if he can get you to stop your whole journey mm-hmm. by taking your own life. Um, and I think that these dynamics of this, you know, I read a fascinating old, old book. You know me. I like old books. I'm not against any of the new guys, write what you want, (laughs) but some of us still download and read the books that are 100 and 200 years old because there was just something, I don't know, it works for me in the old stuff. But a pastor talking about in that scripture everyone knows in Ephesians 6 about the shield of faith and Mm -hmm. the fiery darts of the enemy. He described suicidal thoughts as exactly that, fiery darts. Mm -hmm. Like that's what they are, launched at you, in the course of a day, which is why they can feel random, mm-hmm. um, all engineered around the idea of I have to get you to stop you because I can't right. stop you, so I really need you to do it for me. Right. Um, and so I I actually think in what you've shared there, you've shared a lot that somebody can, can grab a hold of. Um, and so, you know, we've hit on a lot of things as far as you know, if you have that intuition slash discernment slash, you know, the body of Christ is so fun right now because there's so many stripes, right? <laughs> right? So like to a cessationist Christian that the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything, it's an instinct Right across the street at, you know, first overcoming Pentecostal assembly of whatever, it's a prophecy, mm-hmm. right? So like whichever... Or a feeling. You know, right? What, whatever <laughs> camp you're in, if yeah. you if you have that thing about another person... Because you you said something, you said it quickly on your way, but you said, hey, the worst that happens, you offend somebody. Right. The best that happens, you save a life. Right. Right. Well, the funny thing about it is I think that it'd be pretty slim that you could offend somebody. Mm -hmm. Honestly, we have so much fear in our culture of offending somebody, which to me is comical at my age. Right. Because we were just raised at a different time. Those of us 50s and 60s and stuff. We don't recognize this thing at all. So like when people go, well, I'm offended. I don't care. Like it's weird because I've been offended 4000 times in my life and it has never stopped my heart from beating. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. like the stigma, like oh, they might be offended. Yeah. And the moment after they're offended, they're going to keep breathing and their heart's going to keep beating and they're going to go buy a soda. Like it's going to be okay. Right. Um, having said that though, I can't imagine a time where if somebody called me and said, Hey, this might sound crazy, but I was worried about you. I wanted to check on you. Even if they were completely out in the wind on that, they wouldn't offend me, right? Because you're showing care, you're showing concern, mm-hmm. and even if, hey, man, I'm not totally registering why you called. I'm doing pretty good, actually, right. right now. Okay, like you know, so so I love that you mentioned that. Like, don't be afraid. Like, if if you have an instinct about somebody and you care about them, well, yeah, reach out. I mean, nothing bad's going to come from that. And possibly, like in this situation, your your situation is a dramatic example, but possibly something remarkable comes from that, you know. And this this poor guy having no idea what he was even, you know. I, I try and when you when people tell a story, I try to picture it in my mind. So trying to picture this guy going, look, I don't know anything about God, so I don't know what this is, but here I am. That's sort of awesome, right. right? Like, like the anonymous man of God in the Old Testament. Have you ever read that, that story? It's in the King somewhere, okay. and it just calls this guy Man of God. It gives him no name, and it just says the Man of God came, and the Man of God said this, and then the Man of God left, and the dude's totally anonymous. There's no, <laughs> we get no name on this guy, right? And so, to me, that that sort of lands in that category of uh, just an awesome God thing. That somebody that, right, you know.
1: Yeah, he. Um, I, I do have to say, like, he, him and I's relationship has changed drastically.
0: Um, so you don't hate him now.
1: Don't hate him now. Good. Uh, <laughs> Good. Um, we're you know he he lives in Kansas, but he's still in contact. I, I've been able to um, speak into his wife's life, his kids' lives, um, and you know we've we've been able to um, just have this uh we have a very unique story like a, a unique yeah. bond um it, yeah. it's, it's not every day that something like that happens um something else that i i, I do feel that needs to be touched on as well Jeez. though is um not everybody receives that person to come intervene
0: mm.
1: um and that had, you know, uh, I did mention, you know, there, there's been numerous people in my life who have, who have ended their lives, um, in, a, you know, from a 15 year old girl to a, you know, 60 year old man who's been God fearing most of his life. So it's been a totality. Um, Other first responders, um, and in that, um, I guess what I, I kind of want to touch on too is, um, for me. And I think for other people struggling, you have to be the one to say something. You're not, you may not get, you may not get that person to come intervene, um, but you have to be brave enough to say something, brave enough to say, I'm not okay. Um, Brave enough to, honestly, it's hard to even think about saying the words, I want to put my service weapon in my mouth as a first responder, or I want to end my life, or, you know, i there's moms out there struggling with this right now who have yeah. kids and, and everybody has those like I said preconceived notions about what suicide should and should not look like um, and, and so I, I think that understanding that, um, that there shouldn't be that stigma that you should understand how incredibly brave you are to be able to share that depth with someone because it's something that not, it makes people uncomfortable. Like I, I still can suck the comfortability out of a room when I speak about this. Um, but I'm okay with that because I know that God is calling me to something with this. Um, so that is my, my big piece is understanding you have to be brave enough to be able to tell someone, um, that is that in itself, um, just starts the, the healing process. Cause once you again, start to speak light into a dark place, like, Whether you understand God in that concept or not, like it just gets transformed. It's something that carries such darkness with it—a stigma or spiritual darkness or whatever—and and and so being able to talk about it, um, even though it might make people uncomfortable, being able to um, break off some of those myths about it. There are some some major myths around um, what suicide is and isn't, and Um, being able to say that this is my part and my story, and these are my thoughts about it and how I'm dealing with it. Um, and allowing somebody else into that space, allowing somebody else to, um, point you in the, in the direction and sit with you in it. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. It it certainly is, um, out of all of the things I've done, it's been one of the harder things. Um, you know, it, it, and it doesn't, it, I can't even explain it, you know, sitting with a, um, just kind of give a little bit more of my story. Um, having a husband who also lost his wife to suicide, um, and then going to him and saying, Hey, I'm struggling with this. Mm. Um, man has a whole other, there, there was so many other spiritual battles, um, around that because I, I didn't want to poke and there was deception from the enemy and all of these ways that kept me isolated from having these conversations um but i will tell you that true healing truly came as i i got 100 percent honest with it and that meant i got honest in therapy about it i got honest with my family about it i got honest with my spouse about it um and as the thoughts would come just having somebody to sit with me in it they're not accountable for it but having them sit with me in it and I don't need them to fix. I don't need them to throw another scripture at me because it made me feel bypassed. <laughs> um, I just needed them to hear it. Um, and even speaking it in that um, broke off the bondage of it. It just, the the thoughts became less and less faster than they ever did with all of the therapies and once I became fully transparent about it. Um, and, you know, getting, you know, getting the right types of, of healing modalities as well. You know, I I did talk about, you know, essential oils and yoga and, um, you know, I was doing um, extensive therapy, um, but finding a, a counselor who, was able to approach it with me and respect my, my biblical aspects with it and, um, and navigate and be comfortable enough to talk about it with me. Cause some clinicians are not. Um, yeah. And then find a pastor who is comfortable talking, like finding those people who um, are comfortable with it. Um, they will come. They, they, but it's, it's taking that step first step of saying like, Hey, I, I'm not okay. And this is why I'm not okay. And, and, um, this is what I'm struggling with. Like it, it just, there's something so, um, supernatural in it. Like I I believe 100%, like whether you believe in God or not, there, there's just a bondage that is broken when you speak the truth. And when you, you know, they, they say that, uh, you know, secrets keep you sick. Um, and I, I know there's a proverb about it kind of too, but, um, but when, when you, Audibly speak it, and um, like I said again, whether you believe in God or not, uh, allowing Him to move in that, um, it happens. I, yeah, I, I can't explain it. That that has been the um, in all of the therapies, and you know, I I'm actually going to school to be a counselor right now as well. Um, in all of that, the only thing that has ever broke this bond for people is Jesus. Yeah. Um, it it doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter what, um, box you check or, um, it's, it's that full surrender. And, and so if, and again, even if you can't speak it to, um, you know, someone start speaking it to God, start speaking it to, you, you know, you have to start having that conversation. Cause I, I, I didn't have that conversation. I, I knew that that place was in my heart. I, I I knew that that was one of those skeletons in my closet that I hadn't talked to God with about yet. But, and once I spoke it out and said, God, I want you to deal with my suicidal thoughts. I want you to deal with the tendencies. I want you to deal with the attempts and the forgiveness involved. Um, That's when the process started. And that process started a year before my actual attempt. So (laughs) just, just to kind of, um, you know, get that out there. Like you, you have to be brave in this um and 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 it's it's not it is not this um you know you deserve a gold star kind of brave or um it it just is really really um deep soul uh, on a whole level that's um yeah you have you have to be i'm I'm rambling at this point well (laughs) no but but
0: i because what you're saying is so um so crucial in a culture that values being disingenuous right right? like if you if you look around our culture right now we're so conditioned that lying is okay that we don't even point it out anymore Mm. right like if if you a politician can go on tv and say things everyone knows are factually not true And you can watch the commentators on the news channel go, Well, yeah, we all know that's not true, but that's what he had to say. And nobody even calls it lying anymore. Now we just smile and go, Yeah, that's just what you do. You know, like our whole culture has lost the value of truth, integrity, honesty. And then all the cultures worshiping somewhere, which is why we become Christians Mm -hmm. or are attempting at least to be Christians who also don't understand the liberating aspect of truth and integrity mm-hmm. and honesty but we're singing songs to a god of absolute truth right right and so i think what you're saying really does matter because a lot of people um, never articulate anything uh, they honestly they're, right. they've so conditioned to making a certain presentation that the idea of being truly bare bones, honest is terrifying. Like I've, I've never done that in my life. Mm -hmm. I've always calculated what I was going to say, you know? Um, And I also think it matters a lot, like to anybody listening to this in particular, that's struggling when we say you need Jesus, that's different than saying you need church. Right. Because a lot of people immediately go like, yeah, well, I tried church and church sucks. And a a lot of people (laughs) don't want to deal with the fact that if we are honest again, right, let the Bible be the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible wouldn't even enjoy most of our churches. Like, so if if you hear her say that the answers in Jesus and your first thought was a church, well, hey, I don't like church. That's not even at all what we're talking about, because Jesus is the Savior of the world who will meet you in the front seat of your car right? and tell you to throw the gun in the dumpster right. and drive away. Like, yeah, there are some good churches that are Christ-centered. We get that. But I think it's important to dis- make that distinction for somebody listening to it yeah. because we're not saying every church you see can be your answer because right. some churches will make it worse. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, But Jesus, who is not embodied in what happens at church. Right. Right. There's so much that gets done in his name that's not him that it, I almost feel like when we finally all get to heaven, it's going to be the moment where he has to actually point out and say, like, okay, I did do that, mm-hmm. but I didn't do any of that. Right? Like right. He's, he's going to have to sort it out because everybody's saying that they're doing whatever they're doing in his name. But the actual Jesus of the Bible, the guy that had that confrontation with Satan mm-hmm. and loved you enough to send somebody to intervene, who loves you enough that as you talk to him about this in the years since brings you some relief, brings you some perspective, brings you some peace. Mm-hmm. Um, that that guy, Jesus, the Lamb of God is absolutely the answer that people need. And there's And there's no accident to the fact that, you know, we're at a time in our culture also where you can say anything is the mm-hmm. answer except that Right. Like, you know, any drug, any kind of thing, any kind of lifestyle is all completely fine. Identify any way you want. But you raise your hand and say like, hey, what you actually need is Jesus. And all of a sudden you have like 14 labels attached to you (laughs) and you're a horrible person. But but you've walked through a thing and survived it Mm -hmm. because of Christ. And you are not ashamed of that fact. And that's a powerful thing.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean that's even you know part of the story too is as I walked it out, I actually stopped um some of those checking the boxes um you know i I found God on my living room floor I truly truly did in as as I walked it out and, and even now just thinking about um you know why I'm discussing this topic and why I'm so passionate about it as well as as I look back over the last few years um many of the churches that I have attended, um, this is, this topic hasn't been talked about. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't find any relief, you know, from a Sunday message. I, I, I didn't, I, I found it in my own searching and in my own scripture and my own obedience of walking it out yeah. and being honest and transparent about it with, you know, safe people and them speaking scripture into my life and truth into my life. And, um, so yeah, definitely not. Uh, not saying church is the answer because I was checking those boxes, um, yeah. and
0: so you mean to tell me God has done cool stuff in your life not on Sunday and not at church?
1: He's done way cooler stuff Monday through Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's remarkable. It's almost like he doesn't right. live at church. That's that's pretty great. Oh. So,
0: well, um, you know, just as a side note from a place of friendship, I'm really glad
1: that right. your
0: contacts fell out when you right. were swimming <laughs> and, yes. and you couldn't get home, okay, because I would have missed you. Right. And, and I think that in all of the different deceptions that go on when people are considering suicide is one of them is, well, when my life is out of the way, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter to anybody else. Right. You know, that's part of it, right? Like this whole, in the overall scheme of things, and if we go far enough with it, you know, they're actually all better off if right. I'm out of the picture. Right. So this is what I need to do. Um, and I know that I speak for me and a bunch of different people that we know in common. Right we would have all been super ticked off at you if that had been like, we would have not only noticed, but we would have been mad like for whatever it's worth. So thank you for at least recognizing that your unlikely prophet who showed up (laughs) at your gym parking lot, you know, I for one am really glad that Mm. when God threw you a lifeline, you recognized it as being that. Um, And I do think your fight was more about your future than it was about your past and some really tremendous great things can come from as you continue to tell your story and let people know that they can they can talk about it they can find something in Jesus and um you know if they don't have anybody else to talk to I mean tell me if I'm wrong but I I think they can if they could walk up to a fire station couldn't they knock on a window (laughs) and go hey this is not right inside and I need some help Right, Um, Um,
1: there there are plenty of hotlines out there. I know that Wyoming just launched the 988 here. Um, Well, and
0: I can say from experience over the years too, um, while I'm not advocating that church attendance is necessarily an answer, (laughs) um, I do know that I think every pastor I've ever known would happily help a person who walked into the church and said, hey, I don't go to church here, but I feel like ending my life and I don't know what to do. Right. I don't know anybody I've met so far in any kind of pastoral ministry that would not drop everything and say, okay, then, then let's figure out what to do with this right. and how to walk you through it. Um, so I think that there are there are avenues, there are places that people can go. And the big lie is don't tell anyone, Mm -hmm. you know, like we were talking about. So, well, thank you for sharing and, and, uh, and I believe it's, it's helpful to people. And, and, um, we're going to be doing more interview type things like this. Um, COVID kind of got in the way, you know? So, um, if you're listening to it and it's a blessing to you and you need more information or you want to catch the next one, just hit the subscribe button and we'll be coming back. So thanks, Brandy. Thank you. Thanks again for stopping by. Have a blessed day.